or if you were to ask 100 people here at this church at random to identify their favorite Bible verses, what do you think they would say? At the 8 o'clock, people started answering me, but you don't have to do that. I've got a few that I have in mind. I would guess that many might choose the second chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, which is the chapter always read on Christmas Eve. It's that, and it's also that which has been recited on the television cartoon Charlie Brown's Christmas since 1965. Or maybe it would be the 23rd Psalm from the King James Version of the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And since we're in the King James Version of the Bible, how about that great verse from John's Gospel, John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That at least would get us started with some of those great verses. But of all the verses that the Bible one might choose as their favorite, I think it's easy to say that it's very unlikely that anyone would ever mention the verses we just heard from the ninth chapter of St. Mark's Gospel. Here, whether you read it in the King James Version or the New Revised Standard Version or some other new common English version, Jesus is basically saying the very same thing. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. These are the verses we are in this morning. And as important as they are, and I believe them to be, They just aren't at the top of anyone's most famous Bible verses list, are they? So then the question we're stuck with this morning is what are we to do with these very harsh words of Jesus? In such tough phrases of Holy Scripture that provide really little comfort for us today, what is it that Jesus might be calling us to hear and to put into action if we can as Christians this morning. Well, over the course of time I've had to preach on this particular part of the Sunday lectionary, I've always found myself reminded over and over again when I read these verses that sometimes the good news of Jesus Christ is also the sobering news of Jesus Christ. It is news that still to this very day is there in the Gospels to shake us up and to perhaps shock us down to our core and to get us paying attention. And really, as I look back through the last month of Scripture readings that we've been hearing from Jesus in Mark's Gospel, all of the Sunday readings have been the same variety of tough and sobering verses of the good news, perhaps meant to shock us, as I said, into a deeper understanding of just exactly what it might mean to truly be a Christian. Not just that we need to believe in our faith, 
but also the Christian lifestyle that we are being called to live into. And really, the peril that we face if we choose to call ourselves Christian disciples and to ignore that calling. Because here's the deal. Today, whether we think of it in our busy lives this way or not, it is all of us who now make up the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just like John, Peter, Mark, and all the rest of the apostles 2,000 years ago, we're still struggling to hear, accept, and to truly live out the message of Jesus. The apostles 2,000 years ago couldn't seem to do it because what Jesus was teaching was all too new and too different from what they were expecting as first century Jews. But for us today in the 21st century, the gospel of Jesus Christ has become something that is quite opposite of what it was 2,000 years ago. We as the church now know the teachings of Jesus very well, or at least we think we know them. And in hearing those stories and teachings over and over again, each and every year, they have begun to lose their passion and their transformative power. For us today, the good news has become just like salt in today's gospel that has lost its flavor and has begun to go bland. And when we can no longer remember ourselves why the good news is so darn good, then maybe that's why we so desperately have to return over and over again to hear these less remembered, less repeated, less less memorized and recited, tough, sobering news of Jesus Christ that come to us in the Bible to jar us once again and to bring back the seasoning in our salt, to re-season our faith and what that faith is requiring of us here in the 21st century. All of this always seems to remind me of several years back I believe during the great 50 days of Easter, when I flipped on the news, I won't tell you which news station I flipped on, but I flipped on the news and a story flashed of a fight that had broken out in a place we often hear about when we hear about these types of battles in the holy city of Jerusalem. But this time, during the season of Easter, it was happening in the most holy of Christian shrines, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which encloses the place of both Jesus' crucifixion and of his resurrection. The fight that made the international news actually broke out right there in front of that empty sepulcher itself, right in front of the very spot believed to have been the empty tomb that once held Jesus' body and from which Jesus walked out. And it was in the news... Really, because the fistfight happened not as you would have expected it, not between tourists who were trying to get a better view of of the site, nor was it between Israeli soldiers and Palestinian Arabs, as we often hear. This fight was happening between Greek Orthodox Christians and Armenian Orthodox Christians, two different ethnic churches, but churches with almost identical Christian theology and beliefs. They were there attempting to celebrate a holy day at the same time, at the same place. They'd broken their schedule of use of the holy church. And when the processions crisscrossed with each other, it caused Greek Christians to block the Armenian Christians. 
And suddenly it led to monks in robes and priests in their garments to begin pushing one another. And before long, they were shoving. And before long, the cameras were moving and punches were beginning to fly. And as silly as it all sounds, I have to tell you, every time I think about this, every time I think about it being picked up by the international news, I am deeply ashamed that it happened. How terribly embarrassing, not just for the Greeks and the Armenians, but for our Christian faith as a whole. How shameful for the entire world to be able to watch two of the most ancient Christian churches pushing, shoving, and fighting like little children in the playground, all in front of the very tomb that once held the one whom we proclaim as the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace. And sadly, it is just another physical example. And this happens often in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it continues to show why I think that our Christian faith is declining in the face of some of the other world religions. We are a church and a body that has been horribly divided and broken. Greek, Russian, Armenian, and Syrian, Orthodox, Coptic, Ethiopian, Roman Catholic, and literally thousands of Protestant and other schismatic denominations, from Presbyterians to Pentecostals, from Methodists to Moravians, from Free Will Baptists to Primitive Baptists to Regular Baptists, Old Regular Baptists to Southern Baptists to Cooperative Baptists and to American Baptists. Should I go on with the Baptists? We have completely lost that ancient united front to be able to proclaim the good news Jesus gave us to give to a world that I, for one, still believe desperately needs it and to a world that is beginning to look elsewhere or to look nowhere at all. Though we have had now over 100 years in the 20th and the 21st century of an ecumenical movement in Christianity that has done much to attempt to mend broken fences between us, You can still imagine so many of our churches today who, like John, the apostle this morning, are still looking around at other Christians and other churches and saying to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Yes, we desperately need good news, but we also have to take in sobering news to shake us as Christians to the core and remind us that we are called to be one holy people, the kingdom of God, the community of the faithful, the body of Christ. And that means that we must be willing to let go of ourselves and focus on Christ's greater and far more important mission. We have to build bridges and not burn them down. We cannot afford to let things that divide us, our egos and our worldly, unholy views of power and prestige, cause us ourselves to begin throwing punches, whether figuratively or literally, especially within the greater church of God. And as we examine ourselves in the light of this hard truth, we have to keep going from the greater church of God all the way down to ourselves personally as Christians. For no matter how much we want the comforting words of Jesus, the loving words of Jesus, the enlightening words of Jesus, the gamble is simply too great to also overlook these important, tough, 
hard and sobering words of our Lord. For this morning, Jesus himself is saying to us that if we mislead someone who is looking to us for help, who depends on us, who needs Jesus's holy life-giving word of forgiveness and grace, then it would be better for us to have a heavy stone placed around our necks and to be cast out into the sea. Now, I can tell you that's extremely sobering news for a priest as we grapple with this from week to week. And it needs to be sobering for all of us. If our anger or resentment or envy causes us to stumble in our important walk of faith, Jesus tells us we must cut it off. If our prejudice or hatred stand in the way of our seeing every single human being is made in the image of God and deserving at least respect and caring, then we must cut that evil stumbling block out of our lives. If our laziness or selfishness rises to the level where we stop caring about the community in which we were baptized into, the church that is there to bind us to Jesus Christ, and that we are called to help our world, the homeless, feed the hungry, soothe the suffering, and comfort the dying, then we must find a way to amputate whatever it is that is standing in our way. For brothers and sisters, it is better to have to admit that we've made a mistake or that we're wrong, to have to forgive someone who's wronged us, to give someone we disapprove of a second chance, and to pass up an extra hour of sleep and a little tiredness or less restedness or something that doesn't entertain us. It's better to be all of those inconvenient things than to begin waking up one day in our life and find ourselves that we're already living in the unquenchable fires of hell. Because as much as we as Christians like to talk about the future, it all begins right here. Eternal life as Jesus' disciple and the emergence of hell as we begin to fall down into the abyss without Jesus. Friends, Christianity, our faith and our religion, is promising all of us so much in this life. It promises us hope. It gives us resurrection restoration, salvation, a life eternal now, and a love that is unlimited and total. But it asks us to do something in return for all of that. It asks us not to just show up when we can, but to be transformed by this faith and to allow that transformation to start moving out into the world to those who need transformation that are all around us, those who need to hear the Word of God, those to need to see His hands and feet alive and in action in all that we do. We've been going through in the midst of all these gospel readings the letter from James, a battle point for Protestant and Catholic Christians for years, a place that Martin Luther thought was not needed within the Gospels or in the, in the New Testament. But that whole letter is about faith and works and action together. It's about combining that that we need to do with our hands with that that we proclaim to believe in our hearts. So we have to come back to Jesus this morning. If anything causes us to stumble in keeping this covenant that we've made with God and with the body of Jesus Christ, that which promised us so much, then let us have the strength that we need to cut off that stumbling block, to gouge it out and to get rid of it 
for the better of our discipleship and for the betterment of our world. We can resist the assaults and temptations of the devil and we can quench the fires of hell now and we can become again the people of passion, the very Christians that God intended us for us to be when Jesus called us to follow him. Let us do that. Amen.